Welcome to The Catch-Up, a podcast where we bridge psychology, linguistics, and mythology to explore the nature of our mind. I'm Neil. And I'm Melissa. I'm a linguist and author with a concentration in discourse analysis. I also study and write about applied mythology and its effects on our ability to communicate with ourselves and others. And I'm a trained psychotherapist with 10 plus years of experience, and I write about the myths we all have in our mind and their effects on our everyday behavior. This podcast brings together our respective fields so we can see what goes on in our minds, both socially and personally, so we can communicate our way through any experience with understanding. Let's catch up. Just kidding. We don't have a crowd. Um, today we'll be catching up on transcending talk talk. Uh-oh, Melissa's laughing too hard. I will keep going with it. So basically today we're going to talk about that self-talk that's going on inside your mind and how to transcend it both on your own basis and collectively with other people. And all talk talk is, is that language that you pick up on. It's from your environment and it is what you absorb and what you use in your everyday conversations with yourself, because as we talked about in the last episode, which was our first episode, you talk to yourself more than anybody else, which is why it's so important to examine the language you use with yourself, because that absolutely affects the way you communicate outside of yourself as well. Now ask yourself this, who was the first person or thing or whatever to communicate to you? Where does that happen? Typically the womb, right? So that's the first place that you absorb some vibrations, tones, frequencies, etc. And all of that is electricity. It affects your body as you were, what do you want to call it, growing up and out. And that's where that stuff originates usually. That's how the template starts. That's why parents use headphones sometimes on the, on the belly of the pregnant woman. Yep. They use it to allow the baby to listen to music. You know, you see people talking to the, the bellies all the time. So we know that babies can hear things and they pick up on vibrations and words and messages and tones and things like that. There's so much research on this. We won't go into too much of that and geek out. But basically what it tells us is that that's where these things start. So therefore, sometimes we have to go back to that to reset and to learn how to transcend because if it's the kind of the first language you learn, that electric current that you get from the adults around you. So I like the analogy you use sometimes, Neil, about food. Because, and again, we mentioned this in the last episode, but in case you're just now catching up with us, get it? <laughs> um, the, uh, what we're doing is because we can't get enough puns. Our names are Melissa and Neil, and the combination of our names is meals. So we're calling these meal times discussions to chew on. But what What's important to remember is that what Neil says all the time, and I love this analogy, is when you have like an appetizer, it's not just the food that you see in front of you on your plate. Ingredients went into that, time went into that, um, a recipe went into that, personalization went into that. So you have experiences. Those are the ingredients, the, the, the chef personalization aspect that goes into the language you use and how you talk to yourself. And it's automatic. So. What you can kind of do is think about yourself as the chef. You did an apprenticeship or you learned how to be a, what's it called, sous chef. 
somewhere somebody taught you. Now, if they were abrasive, like a Ramsey type, well, you're going to have a little different electricity going through you as you were conditioned in the kitchen. But you can evolve out of that way of being, way of communicating anytime. You just have to surround yourself with an environment that's conducive to change or evolution, whatever you want to call it, in your self-talk. So what, as a psychotherapist, how would you define an environment or explain an environment that's conducive to change? What does that entail? Any environment is conducive to change if you're open to it. And if it's safe? I would say if it's safe. If it's not safe, I would call it a challenge. We're living in challenging times where not many areas are safe. So basically, the boundaries of the word safe are changing to the point where now we have to understand you're safe if you're taking care of yourself and you're putting health first, kind of healthy self-talk, so to speak, healthy talk with other people. So you create that. I can go out in that field in front of us where there's rattlesnakes and tell myself I'm not safe, get my heart rate up, or I can say, no, just listen for rattles, make sure you don't get bit, and you're good. And I think it's also important to understand, and you can clarify or correct me on this, Neil, if you'd like, safe does not always mean comfortable. You can be safe and feel uncomfortable, correct? Of course, yeah. Like I know, I know, for example, I know there have been a lot of difficult conversations that I've had to have with like family members or friends about certain things, but that, that just means growth, whether that's an argument or a core belief difference or whatever. Um, and it's very uncomfortable for me. I don't like doing that. I hate conflict, but I know that sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations because otherwise you just sit on it. And then the friendship or the relationship just breeds resentment and weirdness and uncomfortability. And then you have an elephant in the room, but nobody wants to talk about the elephant, but the elephant's sitting there having lunch with you. Yep. <laughs> so, well, and I like how you're framing that because it's, it's bringing to mind kind of a merry-go-round. Conflicts tend to kind of create momentum. They increase our heart rate. They tell us what we need to be doing differently. Now, we're not all listening right now. A lot of people are not being introspective right now. But those of us that are, are seeing that, as we said in last episode, that evolution of rational thought coming up and out, and it's creating some cool changes in people's perceptions of society, of themselves, of categories, categories of thought. I think that's something that we need to dive into here. How does your mind use categories? Maybe I could ask the linguist. What do you think about that? How does our mind use categories? Well, we use categories all the time with our language, whether we're labeling someone in a particular political party, whether we're using someone's last name to refer to them and you know as their family, right? That's othering. That's yep. saying you're a right, you're a smith kind of a thing. Whether that is, you know, saying those people over there like pineapple on pizza. I am not one of those people. That's right. my category. I don't think pineapple belongs on pizza. But I do. Like I vehemently disagree with you. And that's, that's okay. Well, we just order half and half. Here's the, you're just wrong. But that's fine. Yeah. See? <laughs> So it's it's the it's that it's that authoritative no that yes. kind of shows up in people's categories of thought. They think this way, therefore no. And it's also important to remember what I just said. If Neil and I were wanting to have an actual productive conversation about pineapple on pizza, which can seem very important if you're really hungry at night, and I know I've felt that this is a very important conversation because he wanted pineapple and I just did not. 
But if we were wanting to have an actual productive conversation about pineapple on pizza, me saying you're just wrong is absolutely the wrong way to go about that. I can believe that, and it's not... Campbell's saying hello. That's our cat, Campbell, in case you can hear him. And he's saying we're wrong for not feeding (laughs) him early, but we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. But if the thing is, it's... It's easier now because pineapple on pizza is a more lighthearted conversation. Yes. But it's okay for me to say, I think you're wrong, and move on. Yeah. It's how you handle the current. It is. Now, if this is a more serious conversation, and one of us was doing actual wrong to other people or harming them emotionally or physically in some way, that requires a more in-depth mindset. But as far as categories go, basic categories, everyday categories that are just used to other someone saying, okay, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong is okay. And then you move on. And, but it's also okay to lay your cards out on the table and say, here's why. Yeah. Cause if we create, go with me on this. If we create two lanes of boats, One boat is making a current of one category, let's say, let's go political a little bit. One boat is a Trump-supporting boat. One boat is a Biden boat. And each one is creating a current, a wake, all of that. And you can't necessarily just jump over and expect them to accept you in the other, so to speak, current. But you can kind of say, hey, we're all in the water together. Maybe we could coexist and live some parallel understanding of we have to address these things maybe not too much pineapple maybe not so that the flavor ekes into my side you see what i'm saying though i see what you're saying i just disagree (laughs) (laughs) but it's holding those two understandings at once and that's why i think seeing what people are doing right now there's so many temper tantrums going on and that's normal that's how a lot of people express themselves Mm -hmm. and sometimes this requires boundaries. So if I don't like pineapple on pizza, and I know that pineapple when it's on pizza bleeds its juices, and I'm going to be tasting the pineapple even if I pick it off because the juices are there, I have every right to say, that's not me. I'm going to set a boundary and I'm going to get a different pizza for myself. Same like if you are talking about COVID. Mm -hmm. If you say, I am a COVID believer, I want to wear my mask and you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to wear a mask, you can say, okay, but we have to share air here. I'm not going to spend in-person time with you right now. That's a boundary. So it's absolutely okay to understand your boundaries, understand what are your deal breakers, understand that discomfort does not mean you're not safe kind of a thing. And what's also important to recognize is that Last time in our first podcast episode, we talked about the levels of myth. We have the micro myths, Neil's myths of mind, which are individual myths that we harbor that kind of affect our daily behaviors. And then we have kind of societal myths, the more macro myths that dictate how we kind of work in tandem with our communities. But what is passed down to us, our caregivers myths. Yes. Our parents' myths, our family myths, their little myths of mind, those micro myths are handed to us. And so we use that language and we use those mindsets to determine, at first we use them as kind of a compass Mm -hmm. of here are my boundaries and here's what I should believe and here's what I should think. And then later on we start questioning it and wondering and things. 
So those are the first myths of mind yes. that we have access to, and that affects our inner dialogue with ourselves. And I think the key in this is understanding that not everybody even had a caregiver or a caregiver that was caring. A lot of times you can't even use the word giver. They were forcing or they were authoritarian toward those people. And so they had a lot of neglect. They had abuse circumstances. We're seeing that right now. This is a crisis of neglect. And therefore, we're forgetting that these people have backgrounds, like we said last time. They're not okay right now. Most people aren't. No. I'm sorry. I feel like I was going to interrupt you for saying something. I think I'm going a little bigger here, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on the language use you're hearing in people that are screaming for help and not feeling heard right now. Well, I think people scream for help in different ways. I think you can scream for help by slewing really kind of hyperbolic insults at someone else. I think you can scream for help quietly by putting up a Facebook post with periods only, no exclamation points, and like just, you know, kind of being monotone a little bit. I think you can scream for help by shutting yourself off from the world for a few days. As far as language use goes, these days it seemed 2020 gave us a lot of things all at once. And and I think a lot of people became really overwhelmed. And I think that caused language to be very, a lot of times not inviting yeah. and very categorical. And I think a lot of people are using their personal myths of mind and their personal cultural and societal myths to say, this makes me right. And that's, I'm not saying that mindset is wrong. But I'm saying the language use, if we see someone doing harm, uh, what we perceive as harm, whether that be politically, environmentally, socially, physically, emotionally, whatever, I think we have to be able to say, listen, you're both people. We are both living in this town or this state or this country, whatever. There's our common ground. And then we have to be able to say, here's what I think. I want you to see my mind. You have to enable kind of like a little channel for the other person to be able to cross over and at least see your mind uh, rather than saying, I'm shutting off from you right now because you're just absolutely gone because that's when people dig their heels in further. The only thing that's coming to mind is all everybody's argument. If you show your mind, you're showing your cards, you're giving away, blah, blah, blah. And mind masking is actually a technique people use to defend themselves. Mind masking being not showing... Your mind. Oh, okay. Twisting your mind up, twisting someone else's mind. I don't think people understand how much people are doing that right now, especially away from the other side, well, what and, they perceive as the other. And it's, it's a good defense mechanism if you truly feel unsafe around someone, I think. But also remember, we can't read each other's minds. Language is the literal only way for us to be able to understand what's in someone's mind. So what we do is we use our language to say, here's the piece of my mind that I need you to know. But we also have the ability and the know-how to stop and say, you don't, you don't need to see that corner of my mind kind of a thing. Yeah. 
because there was all that talk about boundaries in pop psychology for the last few years. People were not, I think we were intuitively knowing we're going to need this, those of us that were conscious of what was coming. And so in that process, we were prepping, we were kind of warming up and we're doing a great job as a collective of saying, nope, that's not okay. Of course, the opposite is going to occur in other people. They're going to say, well, if you say that's not okay, then I'm going to say it is okay. But that's, that's a give and take. If you're going to have a free speech society, you have to have a free speech and think society. That's the hard part. And so I think when we're talking about the, the talk that we've been taught in terms of and what we use internally with ourselves, we have to remember that we have the language from our family, we have the language from our friends, and we have the language from our overarching society that we rely on and that we use and that we've probably absorbed a lot of. And it's important to consistently, not necessarily constantly, but consistently examine the language use. Are you being kind to yourself? Are you abusing yourself? Because that means you're more likely to throw those insults at others. That kind of a thing. What are the words you use in your internal dialogues with yourself when you think about others and their points of view? And if you want to have productive conversations and feel safe, the best way to do it is to be very aware of your language use and to say, here's the message I want to get across and not get caught up in the tangles and the loud tones and the voice raising and all of those things. So the best way to kind of transcend it, what Neil always says, is to hit the pause button, right? Just if you're trying to transcend your internal dialogue patterns, if you find any that you kind of want to reorient, hit the pause button to calm down and let the noise settle. Which we're doing right now. Yeah. I don't think you have to rush any conversations. No. People are trying to right now. They're like trying to get out in front of each other. And that's mainly themselves. They see what's coming. We have to change. We have to do the right, quote unquote, right thing for the majority of us. We're losing momentum in certain things so that we can gain it in another area. I'm noticing myself as I think back of all the clients I've seen. If I had not helped them find a new path, or when I didn't help them find a new path, intuitively I knew, okay, well, at least they're getting recalibrated in the right direction now. Now they got to go. I can't keep walking people to the truth, so to speak, because I don't know what they need to be doing. I can have intuitions about it, but that's my intuition about it. They need to find their own. And the same thing goes for us. I, I see it as you kind of, you feel the current telling you you have to go downstream, but sometimes you can back out of the water and wait by the bank and see where it goes and join when you are ready. Because your body doesn't have to keep getting beat up by the currents of other people's trauma. No. And that's a big thing. Language absolutely affects the way we see the world. There are studies on this. And a lot of linguistic debate on the extent to which language affects our ability to see the world. Um, and, I mean, there's no doubt it has an influence. And so when you're talking with yourself and you're discussing your own internal dialogue, the way you talk to yourself and the way you talk to yourself about people in the categories other than you, the way you other other people, 
is very important to examine when you're wanting to have conversations and when you're wanting to make progress in your friendships with your family, with people on social media. Because the language you use affects the way you see yourself and the way you see others, and then that affects the conversations you have, and that affects your mindset and all the things. So just consider them another. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous that we have such a built in, probably because of how we were in the 40s. I should go further back 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s kind of broke us open. But this is the cycle we've always had where. A large group of people made these categorical ways of thinking so rigid that they didn't say, no, that's another person. They said, that's other. And therefore, they're bad or they're not us. Well, and and categories aren't inherently negative. They're how we know who's in our pod, so to speak. You know, you need a new kidney and who's the first people you're going to go to? People in your family because they're more likely to be compatible with your body, right? And it's just a way for knowing how we're safe, who's the most like us, who who we can include, right, and feel the best around. So they're not inherently bad, but categories become negative when we refuse to let the other categories merge with us or expand our idea of categories. And and that's when it becomes bad and that's when it becomes rigid and and I don't want to say bad, I guess. But that's when it becomes more negative, and that's bad when it becomes health. bad for our health. Yeah, interpersonal health. Yeah, that's when it becomes really rigid. It's when it becomes this is me and my place, and you have your in your place. Don't cross my line. I won't cross your line. We're forever going to be separate, and that's vastly unhelpful if we're wanting to make progress on a larger scale, such as a a state or a country or in the world. That's when it becomes more negative. Ooh, don't podcast them aside. Podcast them some bait into understanding. Hey, we're just trying to get along a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think. Did you see the video of that cop that was being attacked? And he basically said, "I got a family." And a lot of people circled him and said, "Well, don't don't kill this guy. He's got a kid." So there was a appealing to humanity that created a current in that group, and there was change right there in that isolated scenario. But that's not how people are thinking about this. They're in their meta mind, we're all in our trauma right now, and we don't know that if we don't communicate that. Mm-hmm. And then look, it he's he's alive. Another guy is not, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep doing the right stuff together. Those of us that are listening and evolving the way we think and transcend that categorical thinking. And so it's important to look at the patterns that you see in your language use how they overlap with your family's patterns of language, your friend group's patterns of language, mm-hmm. your town's patterns of language. What do you gleam? Do you look up to certain political figures in your state or whatever? And do you use and kind of mirror some of their language? Do you find it helpful when you're trying to relate to other people? Because at the end of the day, we're all here and we're all human. And We all have probably common goals, very similar goals, but the way of getting there is oftentimes vastly different. Yeah, because there's a lot of people with antisocial goals. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, you don't join them, but you invite them to be a little more, as the psychology phrase would be, pro-social. Antisocial is the opposite of being kind and inviting other people to change with you Mm -hmm. or go with the 
corrective current. And so one way to do this, just to apply this when you're examining, you could look at the words you use. When you see someone or hear someone having a conversation and you disagree with their point of view, are you saying, well, they're, they're an asshole, they're an idiot, they're, I don't know, jack wagon. Are you, are you saying those things and then just sloughing it off in your mind and saying, haha, got him with an insult? Because yeah. sometimes it feels good in those internal dialogues to just throw your best insult. What is it George Costanza says? The jokester called, they're running out of you. Oh. Felt good in his head, wasn't so great in real life. So what is the language you're using on the word level? Yeah. What are the insults you're hurling? Where can you, if you're thinking about provoking real, real life conversations, how can you reorient that? But the other thing you could do is look at the message level. And say, okay, if I'm having this hypothetical conversation in my mind, what is the message I'm sending to them in my mind? And how would I take that? Or how would you, I think they would take that in real life? Am I being kind of passive aggressive? Am I being implicit with my insults rather than explicit? Kind of look at all levels and see, okay, would this be helpful? if you're wanting to apply it, and then say, is it helpful to me and my health? Am I gleaning something from this and absorbing it and then using it in my dialogue with myself when I make a mistake or if I um, lock myself out of the house or whatever? Because a lot of times we do absorb that in, in the little situations, the little mistakes we make or you know things like that. We use that language toward ourselves as well. Just be artistic. Yeah. I think that's healthy. Expanding definitions, expanding boundaries not coloring in the lines with our language yeah yeah it's it's okay to be aggressive and passive aggressive to the point where if you're having fun and it's it's humorous i think when you notice yourself getting locked into that anger and that abuse that's that's a danger zone that you might want to transcend out of you should now if you're defending yourself of course it's you sometimes have to get aggressive with people to help them understand I am not trying to harm you, kind of speaking over the wave, so to speak, that's going on in them. Yeah, very assertive. Yeah. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. But, yeah. And and what is it? I know Neil always talks about being meta. He loves to apply this when we have our arguments or when we have just normal everyday conversation in married life or whatever. But mm -hmm. what what's a good way to be meta when we're talking about self-talk? disassociate from whatever automatic thoughts, beliefs, current is, or I'm going to almost say seizing you up, just let go and then allow the meta to take over some. You'll start to see, people use the cheesy phrase of see the light, or they're more meditative. You notice people are, when they're letting go like that, they are in their meta mind and their body follows suit because we're built on the physiology of staying meta but we've gotten away from that with how we've gotten our heads down stuck in our ways or thinking this has to go this way for me or else no the world's not ending what we're doing is finding a new beginning there's this rebirth happening with the myth evolution that has been going on and brewing for hundreds of thousands of years so we're, we're finding new tones and frequencies when we let the meta mind take over. Do the rhyme. Do the rhyme. Uh, meta makes things better. 
<laughs> so, but that doesn't mean you have to be meta all the time. I can get too disassociated through it. I've noticed you do, we do, other people do. But it doesn't mean it, it helps you meet that frequency. What's the cheesy and Chris Farley, Beverly Hills Ninja? He transcends, goes up into the clouds with the other ninjas. Not very gracefully. Not the best, but he's doing his, <laughs> he's doing his best. It's Chris. And I think that would, that's the perfect scene of let go, allow yourself to go up in the clouds a little bit, and you get the 360 view as opposed to the I'm in the woods, there's so much danger view. So the main takeaways here today are look at your top talk, look at the overlaps between your communities and yourself, look at what's helpful, look at what's unhelpful, look at where you want to go with your real world conversations, how you're using this language in your conversations with yourself, and make sure you're maintaining your sense of self and your sense of safety, but that doesn't always mean being comfortable. No. But... Yeah, and hopefully this adds a little seasoning to your personal conversations <laughs> and you can keep transcending. We'll keep transcending. We'll see where the next episodes take us. Yeah, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or anything you want us to address or whatever over here. But um, our email is temteam at gmail.com, T-E-M-M-E-T-E-A-M. And otherwise, check out our website, temmeal.com, and we will talk with you soon. Look forward to catching up with you. Yeah, we'll catch up soon.